0: Uh, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. You can have a Bible on you this morning. And we have people who love to get a Bible into your hands. If you throw your hands up, if you don't have a Bible, you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up and grab one of these to take it home as our gift to you. Turn to the book of Genesis, easy to find, very first book in the Bible. And turn to Genesis chapter 18 this morning. Genesis 18. As you're turning there, I'm gonna gonna pray for us. Lord God, I just, uh, I pray this morning, Lord, even in the things that we've been talking about already, God, that you would would take our plans, God, that we have, but God, we we don't want them to be our plans, we want them to be your plans. Lord God, I pray even this morning as we open up your word, Lord, we need to hear from you. God, God, would you orient our hearts towards you? Would, you? would you have our minds set on you? God, would you, would you guard my mouth this morning so that I, I don't say any words you don't want me to say? But God, we wanna hear from you, from your word this morning. God, thank you that you promise that there is power in your word, that we're changed when we hear it. God, change us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're, if you're just joining with us this morning, you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, let me catch you up to where we are right now. We're in a, a series called Increase. And, and we've already seen how God appears to this, this barren old couple, Abraham and Sarah. They were called Abram and Sarah. And he appears to them and says, hey, I've got a promise for you. A promise that, that although the world has, has been broken and messed up because of sin, because we rebelled against God, and, and because of that, the world was broken, especially though our relationship with a holy, loving God has been broken. And, and God is saying, my ultimate plan is to restore that through Jesus. To redeem us, to, to make us new. And so he says to this guy, Abram, he says, it's going to happen through your family. Now, here's the only problem. Abram was already an old man, and he and his wife were barren. No kids, no hope of kids. And, and God gives this promise, and a decade goes by and still isn't fulfilled. So what did they do? They said, you know what? Maybe we can't trust God. Maybe we got to take this into our own hands. And they have this, this crazy plan that they're going to have a kid in a way that God didn't promise. So Abram goes outside of his marriage to have a baby, it blows up, it does not work well. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't go the way God obviously wanted it to go. And so now here we catch up with them another decade and more later. Abram and Sarah still in that waiting period in chapter 18, you're going to see that a, it, it starts out just as a normal day. They're just hanging out by their tents. They're just, they're just doing life as normal. But I'm sure there is that, that low-level hum of disappointment in their marriage, in their life. I don't know, maybe they just don't talk about it anymore because it, it hurts too much when they bring it up. That, that there's still no child. Maybe Abram just tries to avoid it and he pours himself into work instead. Maybe Sarah's so hurting, but she just keeps it to herself or maybe they're not as close as they used to be. Maybe the relationship's grown colder yeah, yeah they, they, they still go to church. They're, they're still in small group, but they, they don't really share in their small group. They're, they're kind of pulling away from community. They, they just seem to be existing now. There's that, that, that nagging feeling that, that maybe God isn't as powerful. Maybe God isn't as loving as we thought he was. And there's that undercurrent of hopelessness, but they just keep going on with life. And, and maybe you can relate to that. And this morning, you're, You have that underlying hum of, I don't know if my marriage is ever going to change. I don't know if my prodigal is ever going to come home. I I don't know if this depression will ever go away. I don't know if this addiction can ever be broken. I don't know if this sin struggle will ever be overcome. I, I don't know if my faith will ever be strengthened. But it's in this that God shows up again. He, he invades that, that, that hum of disappointment, that, that, that life where you think there is no hope and God breaks in again with his grace and with his promise. And listen, when God invades, lives are changed, hearts are changed. and In fact, the climax of what we're gonna read this morning in this story is that God comes into this life of disappointment and he brings joy. He brings laughter, in fact, Sarah will say at the, in, in Genesis chapter 21, a couple chapters later, she will actually say, God has brought me laughter. In fact, this morning, we're gonna see Sarah laugh twice. The first laugh she laughs is a cynical laugh. It's a, it's a worn out, I don't believe it, I can't handle it kind of laughter. But then God takes that laughter and transforms it, increases her to a place of true joy. The question is, how does that happen? I mean, how can God give me this morning? How can God give you this morning that, that, that kind of permanent, deep joy in the midst of life? So here, here's what we're gonna unpack this morning. Here's a sentence that I want us to unpack as we look through the text this morning. It's this, God pursues me with his grace in the midst of my circumstances to fulfill his promises. So right away, let, 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 let's break this down. God pursues me with his grace. God pursues me with his grace. Now, before we jump into, into chapter 18, we, gotta, we may have to back up a little bit because you're gonna notice something when we're in chapter 18. If you've been tracking with us in the story, you, you'd have heard me call them this couple, Abram and Sarai. Well, now all of a sudden in chapter 18, their names have changed. They're Abraham and Sarah. Now, here's the thing. In our culture, we typically don't put a lot of weight on names. But, but in Abraham's culture, and it, it wasn't just, hey, let's find a cool name. Let's name them after their, their aunt or their uncle or their, their dad or, or somebody that we think is famous or that's just got a, a really nice sound to it. No, no, no. There, there was a deep significance to names in his culture. The name you were given had an impact on you and your life. And so Abram's dad, Terah, names him Abram, which means exalted father. Now think about that in Abram's life. He, he's, he's into his 90s by the time we catch up to him here. He, he's nearly 100 years old, about 99 years old, maybe when we catch up to him here. And his name, you bump into him, <coughs> hey, what's your name? Oh, it's Abram. Really, what's that mean? It means world's greatest dad. Really? Where are your kids? Yeah, I don't have any kids. And your name means world's greatest dad? Like like you're getting the seniors discount at McDonald's and and you still don't have kids, but but your name means, think of how how awkward that was for Abram his whole life to go through, that's his name. And then in, in Genesis 17, God says to him in chapter 17, verses four and five, God changes his name. He says, hey, you're no longer gonna be Abram. You're now going to be Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. It, not just dad, but a, a father of a multitude of nations. I mean, think about Abraham's life just got a whole lot more awkward. Now when he bumps into, hey, what's your name? Uh, <laughs> it's Steve. I do not want to tell you what my name is, right? <laughs> Now you see this name change happen a lot in scripture. You, you see it happen a lot of different places. Jesus invades Peter's life, pursues Peter's heart and says, hey, hey, Peter, you were once called Simon, which means the stone, a stumbling, a, a, an obstacle. You're not Simon any longer, you're Peter. You're a rock. The believers in Antioch, they were given the name Christians little Christs because of how they were living. And, and listen, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul says this, if, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've, you've given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, Paul says in Ephesians one, that, that your name has been changed. You've now been adopted into the family of God. You, you don't have the name you used to have. God pursued you by grace and gave you a new name and a new family. Now, if, if you've ever been around or maybe you yourself or, you, or you've been involved with an adoption and you, you know that, that unbelievably cool moment when you're in the courthouse, right? And, and the judge finally just bangs the gavel down and officially says that that child now has your family name. It's just a really cool experience. Everything changes now. That child now is is given a new name. They're now under a new name. And there comes a moment in in every believer's life when when you've been changed by the grace of God and you're now a child, a daughter or a son of the king of the universe and you've been given a new name. You now have the name of Jesus on you and it changes you at the core of who you are. You you now walk differently because you have a new name. You, You have something more secure under you, something more secure than you ever could dream or get on your own. You have this new name where you don't live under your old name any longer. Listen, Christ follower, you don't live under that old name any longer. That name the world gives you, an addict, a loser, a failure, a cheat, a liar, a deadbeat, Listen, those names, may, they may have been true about you, but if you receive the grace of God in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection, where, where Christ's blood covers your past, listen, you've been given a new name. So this morning, do you walk in the reality of that new name? I mean, do you walk in the reality of the future that's been, that's been spoken over you right now, that right now you're made new, that the, the judge has banged his gavel and said, It's official, you have a new name? God's pursuing you. Here in chapter 18, now Abraham and Sarah with new names. It's now 25 years since that first promise that God gave them that that Abraham, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be increased so that you're going to be a blessing to the world. You'll have more descendants than the stars and and through your descendants is is going to come one who will bless the world. And, And now it's been 25 years. Sarah in her 90s, Abraham almost 100 years old. Look at verse one. It says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I, I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that may pass on since you've come to your servant." So they said, do as you have said. So what we're gonna see here, we're gonna know because we're, we're gonna know the end of the story here that this isn't just a group of three guys, that this, these are two angels and, and the Lord himself have shown up and we're not sure, does Abraham know that right away? Now, some would say, well, he must because he comes out and he bows down and he calls them my Lord, but, but he may not understand who it is right here because in this culture, that's what you would do. You would bow and show respect to strangers that are coming by and, and, and hospitality was a huge deal in that culture. Listen though, Christian, it should be a huge deal in our Christian culture as well. Right, just a side note here. We should be living like this, right? If you're thinking, "Yeah, but hospitality, man, it's so hard. I got to clean my house. I got to get some food ready." Uh, if we think it's inconvenient, look at what happens here. So, so Abram says, "Hey, hey, why don't you guys stay?" Then he does what I would do. Or look at look at verse six. Abram went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, "Quick!" I'd be like, "Libby, I've invited people over." <laughs> craft dinner and a bowl of cereal is not going to work. So I need some help. Right? So he does the same. He, he runs for help. He, he says to Sarah, but look, look at how, how much effort they put into hospitality. He said to Sarah, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Like she's making bread. She's not running to the corner store to grab some crackers and cheese. no, she's making them right there. Right? Abraham, it says verse seven, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. I mean, that's some fresh steaks for your guests, is it not? Could you, like, imagine going to an independent grocer, you are know, like, hanging and invite some people over. Go to an independent grocer and you walk into the, the meat section, it's like a bunch of cattle. You're like, yeah, I'll take that one right there. And the guy in the, the white lab coat, he's got like a hammer. He's like, okay, this will take a bit, but, right? <laughs> hospitality takes some efforts. (laughs) All right, verse nine comes, and, and we're gonna see now that Abraham's gonna find out exactly who he's serving. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. This is God giving that same promise again. And and so we have to ask, well, why is he doing it again? Why is he coming again for the same promise? Why is he doing this amazing thing of appearing once again? Listen, he's doing it for Sarah. He didn't come to talk to Abraham this time. He came to see Sarah. I mean, Abraham said, yes, Sarah's actually in the tent and and God gives the promise again. Why? So Sarah can hear it. She's listening in. And then the rest of this section of scripture, it's God talking with Sarah, not with Abraham. So we have to ask, well, why is God appearing to Sarah? Why is he pursuing her in his grace? Listen, because he's pursuing all of us. That this morning, God, God is pursuing you. He, he's not off in the distance, but this morning, God's speaking to you through the worship. God, God's, God's declaring himself in the word being preached, that, that God's, God's at, at right now active in your heart as the Holy Spirit brings conviction. God is pursuing, and, and here he's pursuing Sarah. Why? Because I think Sarah believed about God she had an idea of God. She believes in him, but she doesn't believe God. She knows about him, but doesn't have a relationship with him, doesn't know God. And, and maybe this morning, this is you here this morning. I mean, you know all about God. You, you come to church. I mean, maybe you were raised in church and you've heard the stories or, or maybe you've been, you've been checking out Harvest for a while now. But, but listen, listen, God is pursuing you. And it's not enough just to know about God. It's it's not enough to to know about God through someone else. Oh yeah, my my parents are Christians. Or or yeah, my my friend invited me. And oh yeah, I just kind of know about him through what's going on here. But, But listen, no, no. You need to have a personal experience with him. A personal encounter with God. There needs to be that time where you say, I'm laying down my life today. I'm laying down my sin to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. I'm laying down my good works and saying, these things don't, don't, don't restore the relationship between me and God, only you can, Christ. Jesus, I want you to come in. I'm not, amen. I'm not okay with just knowing about you, Jesus. Jesus. I want you to change my name. I want you to change my identity. I want you to change my whole life. And what do you do in that moment? You do what the Bible calls repent. You turn. You say, I'm not pursuing this any longer. My own thing, my own way. I'm pursuing you, Jesus. My life's about you now. Sarah gets this visit from God. Listen, God's not showing up to give her new information She already had all that information that she just heard, but no, God wanted her to have a personal encounter with him. And you have to have this. Listen, there's no other way. Nothing else is enough than than for you to know God through Jesus Christ. So this morning, I wanna ask this. Have you responded to him? Don't leave here without making that move towards God's pursuit of grace. If, if you don't know Christ, if you've just kind of been going through the religious motions, if you you like, I like coming here because it just feels good, but I've, I've never made that call to say, this is who I am. I'm a new man this morning. I'm a new woman this morning. Make that call today. If you are a Christ follower, but find your heart growing more and more like Abraham and Sarah's heart probably did, cold, distant, angry, bitter, apathetic. Listen, again, hear this. God is pursuing you in his grace to meet with you personally this morning. We continue on with this sentence. God pursues me with his grace. Listen, in the midst of my circumstances, God pursues me in the midst of my circumstances. God steps in to transform Sarah's laughter. He, he gives the promise again, but, but look at her circumstances in verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. What's that mean, the way of women has ceased? It means she's way past childbearing years. Like menopause is in the rearview mirror years ago. All right? She's in her 90s by now. So verse 12 says this. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord, talking about Abraham, is old, shall I have pleasure? She's laughing, you're right, God. I'm so worn out. Have you seen my husband, how worn out he is? Forget about how worn out I am. She goes, man, do you really think we're gonna have pleasure at our age? What's she talking about there, okay? Now listen, listen, as a guy, you might think she's talking about, oh, she's talking about the pleasure of having a child. And every woman goes, not a pleasure, all right? No, no, what's she talking about here, right? She's, she's talking about how you have a baby. She's talking about sex. Are my husband and I actually going to have sex? Are you kidding me? We're wore out. The relationship has gone beyond that. There's, there's just there's so much pain in this. There's, we're not doing that. I and mean, you're talking about having a baby. She's thinking, having a baby, man, we're not even gonna do what it takes to have a baby, let alone have a baby. And she laughs at God. Now, why would she laugh? In Sarah's mind, her circumstances were way bigger than the promises of God. I mean, even if her and Abraham were intimate together, even if she's so past childbearing age, So, so her circumstances were so much bigger than what God could ever overcome. And so God responds to her laughter. And he asks a question that that we need to wrestle with this morning. He he speaks into her circumstances. He speaks, listen, into your circumstances this morning that seems so much bigger than God and his promises. Look at verse 13. (coughs) And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Here's the question, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. He asked this, is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is is anything too hard for the Lord? So, church, harvest, is anything too hard for the Lord? No, it's not, right? No, we, we know that. We go, no, that's not, no, yeah, nothing sort of. No challenge, no difficulty, no circumstance, no situation. There's nothing that God can overcome. And we know this as truth. And yet in the midst of our circumstances, how often do we respond like Sarah? You're like, oh, I've never outwardly laughed at God. Yeah, neither did Sarah. It's just, she laughed to herself. It's, it's a cynical laugh in her heart. It's, it's that prideful or cynical laugh that says that person will never change. God could never do a work in their life. God, God could never heal this marriage. God, God could never change. I can't forgive that person. That's the kind of laughter here. Or, or, or it's the kind of laughter, maybe it's the other side of that where, where you say to yourself, I'll never change. My heart could never be like this to the Lord. I could never be all in. I could never get past this apathy, this hurt, this pain, this sin, this guilt. Or maybe it's a problem you're facing. And you've been praying for this over and over, and over. it's been years, and maybe it's an illness, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a struggle in your heart, and you've been calling out, and you're like, I, I hear the word preached, I, I read it, but, but it never penetrates your heart to that point of, of humility and brokenness and faith. And, and you hear the promises of God, and you say all the right Christian things, but your heart is so filled with doubt this morning. You know, it makes me think of a time when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. Remember this time? And he says, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus curls up on the sternsman's seat in the back of the boat. He falls asleep and a storm rolls in. A storm that that scared these guys so much. And remember, some of the disciples were fishermen by trade. They'd been in storms before. This storm was so dramatic that they're screaming out, scared to the point of hopelessness, that they're going to die. Now, if you had asked the disciples before they got into that boat, hey, hey, is, is Jesus bigger than any storm? For sure he is. Do you think he's more powerful? Like, could you trust Jesus even when life is hard? And and I can imagine disciples going, are you kidding me? We've seen him feed 5,000 people with just a handful of food. Are you kidding me? We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him heal the blind. We've seen him do, he is way bigger than any storm that comes your way until the storm came their way. And when that storm hit, they yell out, we're gonna die. Now, what did Jesus ask them after after they call out to him? He gets up, he calms the storm with a word. He says, peace. He's like, settle down, storm. Storm settles. And he asks them this, guys, guys, where's your faith? Guys, is anything too hard for the Lord? And and what happened in the midst of their circumstances, they forgot two things, really. They forgot this. They forgot that, that Jesus was more powerful than any storm. But here's the second thing they forgot. They forgot that God was with them in the boat. Listen, when, when circumstances are overwhelming, we can't lose sight of the truth that God, you're bigger than these circumstances. And God, you're here right now. That God, you're not just watching from afar. Thank you, Bette Midler, from a distance. No, no, right? No, God's right here. God's in the midst of what's going on. And what does God do when, when Sarah laughs at his promise? You think obviously he rains fire down on her for for what she did, but he doesn't. Look at the gentleness of verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? He he restates what she said, but look what he did. He took out all that that hateful, nasty self-talk. He took all that out. All that self-hatred that Sarah had, me, old, wore out, my husband. And he goes, why did she say that she couldn't have a baby? And then he prompts, he goes, listen, listen, I'm gonna be back in a year, she will. You'll see, Sarah. He's really asking, like Jesus asked, where's your faith, Abraham and Sarah? Sarah, why are you so cynical? Why, why are you so doubt-filled? Why are you so bitter? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And, and God right there doesn't change her circumstances in the moment. He restates a promise. Why? To reorient her heart. Hey, Sarah, don't put your faith on what you see around you. You put your faith on me and my promises. In fact, when he says, is anything too hard for the Lord, that word could also be translated, is anything too Wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? I would say this, why is Sarah bitter and doubtful and cynical? Sarah has lost the wonder of God. Maybe you've experienced it that, that wonder when you, when you hold your first child. You're like, wow, I can't believe this that wonder of standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, that wonder of laying under a blanket of stars and she's lost that wonder. She's lost the wonder of the creator of the universe. She's lost the wonder of grace, of God's promises. Because listen, when you have that wonder, it changes you. When when this wonder of God's grace invades your life, your heart is reoriented. It's changed where, where you're no longer seeing your circumstances because your heart is filled with the wonder of who God is. And so, so you overcome doubt and fear. Why? Because you're in wonder of God's greatness and sovereign care. God's, God's at work in this. You overcome bitterness and unforgiveness and and sin and apathy. Why? Because you're in wonder of God's grace. God, I can't believe you've forgiven me, given me a new name. And is anything too wonderful for God? You know, the disciple John, he gets this when, when grace invades his life. And he says in 1 John chapter 3, he says, look at the love that God's given to us. Literally in the Greek, he says, look at this love that's from a whole different country. We would say it this way. This love is not of this world. This, this, this grace and love is so ridiculous. This love that I have on me, man, I didn't earn this. And, and so when you realize that, that there's nothing I can do to earn this love of God, there's nothing I did, then you are in awe and wonder of God's grace. And your heart then no longer rests on yourself. It doesn't rest on the things around you. No, we begin to rest our hearts, begin to worship a God who does the impossible. A God who... Fulfills all his promises. But here, here's the end of this sentence that we're working through this morning. God, God pursues me with his grace in the midst of my circumstances. What? To fulfill his promises. To fulfill his promises. If you flip over a page to Genesis chapter 21. You see this promise ultimately fulfilled in Sarah's life. Verse one says the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. They call him laughter. Laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah laughs again. But now it's not a cynical laugh. Now it's this laugh of joy. Now, why is it a laugh of joy? Why? Because the Lord did what he had said. He had promised and said, here it is. It's fulfilled. Grace invades her life and a son is born to her that she says, my son is laughter. No no longer a nervous laugh, no longer a cynical laugh. Now she says, man, I'm laughing in a way I've never laughed before. The joy in her has increased. Her life has changed. God's grace has invaded Sarah's heart. Now you ask, how is this possible? How can I have that same laughter, that same joy? How can that increase in my life? I mean, is it this? Do Do we take this story and go, you know what you need to do? Dream big like Sarah. If you have faith, dream big like Sarah and the impossible become possible. Listen, listen. Did did, did Sarah dream big? Did did Sarah have big faith? Well, here's the problem with that idea. I think we should dream big. We should trust in the Lord. We should trust that his promises are always true, but but check out what happens here. Though listen, Sarah didn't have faith. It wasn't Sarah's faith that caused the promise to be fulfilled. She didn't believe. Remember, God appeared and she laughed in his face. Listen, this this is so important. The key that unlocked the door for Sarah's heart to experience the increased joy of God's promises. What increased her joy, it wasn't her faith. Remember, she had no faith. The key was the son of promise. It's brought into her life through through the grace of God and who is that son of promise. It all points to Jesus. Because listen, there's gonna be another girl who will come. girl named Mary, who who having a child for her would also be a miracle because she was a a virgin. And an angel came to this woman and said the same thing. A son's gonna be born to you. and, And she said, like Sarah, how can that be? And the angel said to her, listen, he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? The same thing. Listen, when we hear that as anything to our Lord, we should go, wait, 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 wait. That's the same thing that that God said to Sarah. And what's happening here? Jesus is the true son of promise, the true Isaac. And he's the ultimate one who brings the laughter of God's grace into our lives. The the promise that's that's greater than our impossibilities. (coughs) you have to understand something. Our impossibility of God's grace is greater than, than Sarah's too old to have a kid. We're promised something so much greater than that. Listen, listen, God breaks into our sin and brokenness and Jesus steps in to say, I'm dealing with sin and death itself. I mean, what a promise is that? That's a promise that defeats the impossible. The impossible that, that in spite of you and I that we're adopted into the family of God, Through Jesus Christ, the ultimate Isaac, the ultimate son of laughter. Now, now how is that? How how do we experience Jesus in our lives? How do we experience this increased joy? Listen, just like Sarah, it's not bolster up more faith. It's by the grace of God. The promise made to Abraham had its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The, The scripture says the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus cried out in the garden of Gethsemane before his sacrificial death on the cross in our place to take care of our sin. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus says, Father, I know that nothing is too hard for you. All things are possible for you. And in the midst of of his most horrible circumstance, Jesus' heart is oriented towards God's promises. God the Father promised and, and because God the Son, because Jesus trusted in the Father, he willingly goes to the cross because he said, God, I know nothing's too hard for you. And that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it busted through the huge barrier between, between God's glory and holiness and the, our impossible situation. So now, because of that, the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Possible in Christ Jesus. God, God's promised salvation for your sin. God, God's promised to, to always and only do you good. God God's promised that you'll never be alone. God's promised that he'll hear and answer our prayers. God's promised that when we suffer, he will sustain us. And these promises, they're made available to those who are sons and daughters of God. Why? Because God's grace has invaded your life in Jesus. So let me wrap it up this way. Here's the question that we need to ask this morning. How do I know if that grace has invaded my life? What evidences will I see if the grace of God has invaded my life? When Jesus, the ultimate son of promise, when he invades my life, what's it gonna look like? What does it look like in my life practically? Well, here's one thing it'll look like. There'll be humility. There'll be this humble posture where we say, how can this be? How does God invade my life? I mean, it's this humble wonder we have of God's grace, this this humble heart of worship that says, I can't believe, I can't believe this. I mean, do you, see, do you see God's grace in your life redeeming you? Do you see it as ridiculous as Abraham and Sarah having a baby at 90 and 100 years old? Listen, it's more ridiculous than that. The gospel says this, that, that you and I are more sinful than we would ever admit to anyone. And yet God's grace breaks through. And so so when that grace has invaded your life, you have this this humility that, that sees that your sin is more impossible to overcome than Sarah getting pregnant. And you see that you didn't do anything to make this happen. It's all God's grace. So what does that mean? It means that in your life, you're no longer apathetic about sin, You're no longer apathetic about God's grace. You're no longer so prideful that you see other people's sin as so much greater than yours. No, no, from your heart, forgiveness flows freely. There's a humility that you see in your life. Here's what else you see in your life. It's this, you see hope. You see a hope and, and your hope no longer in the horizontal. Because why? Because the horizontal looks crazy. I love what Sarah says. She goes, What? Well, people are going to look at me and laugh. A 90-year-old lady nursing a baby. And she goes, I don't need to defend that. I don't need to retaliate. I don't need to get their approval because God's given me this promise. And so you have this hope in your life now that when you step out in the promises of God that seem ridiculous to the world, you say, man, I've got, I've got hope. I'm not trusting in your opinion of me anyway. I'm not trusting in what you say of me. I'm not trusting in the things I have or don't have here. I'm trusting in the promises of God. And the promises of God now propel you forward. And this hope means... You move forward without being defined by your past any longer. We have a hope that your name's been changed and that that the gospel speaks louder than your circumstances, louder than your past. Why? Because this, because yes, you may be more sinful than you'd ever care to admit, but you're also more loved than you could ever imagine. And you have this joy and this confidence because your past no longer brings you guilt and shame. In fact, those those memories of your failures now soaked in the grace of God turn you into a person that's humble and compassionate to others who fail. I love how the apostle Paul said it. He said that God God always prefers to, to work with the things the world says are useless. God loves to work with those who are washed up, shriveled up, barren losers, outsiders, ugly, poor. And so listen, listen, for us here this morning, Let's never laugh when God says, I'm gonna do the impossible in your life. Has God's grace invaded your life this morning? I mean, if if you don't see evidences of of God's grace in your life, don't don't leave here without responding. Don't leave here with a cynical laugh. Don't leave here with a wore out laugh. But instead, instead, repent now and say, Lord, I've laughed at your promises. My heart's been filled with a laugh of doubt, with a a laugh of cynicism, with a laugh of fear. And and this morning, turn away from what you put your hope into. Repent of that. Say, Lord, that's not my hope any longer. And rest in God's grace. Grab a hold of that this morning so you leave here increased in joy. Why, why, Why could we do that? Because this morning you see Jesus more clearly. Jesus who died and rose again, to invade your life with grace. Sarah and Abraham here, they, they named their son Laughter. So, so I think every time they called out for their son to come in from playing, they'd remember that nothing is impossible with our God. Let me close with prayer. You bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Let me ask you this before I pray. Where's your view of God too small this morning? Where do your circumstances seem, seem bigger than God's promises? I'd say right now, in the quiet of your heart, bring those to the Lord. Repent of putting your hope horizontally. Or you could pray out even now, God, whether you change my circumstances or not, Lord, I wanna trust in you. Heavenly Father, this morning, God, whatever it might be this morning in this room, Lord God, whether it's, whether it's past sin, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's illness, whether it's a prodigal child, whether it's, whether it's just the weight of the world, whether it's addictions, whether it's depression or anxiety, Lord, whatever it is this morning, God, we believe this morning that nothing is impossible for you. God, would you invade our hearts with your grace? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.